All right, welcome back, friends. Uh, it's been a long time, and we're sorry. Uh, it's definitely my fault, but we're back. And uh, before we get back to the Franco Files proper, um, we are kind of recentering ourselves here. Um, and I guess before we get to that, we'll talk about our shit. So, on yeah, let's the talk about it. 17th at Dante's Tavern, um, in their little little room in the back, we're doing Mansion of the Living Dead with Severin. There's going to be pizza and beer and shit. And as John said on our post, we will smoke cigs with you. Um, I'll smoke one cig with somebody, but we'll, we'll smoke like an entire pack with you. It's probably true. And you know what I'll say? Since it's a, a small place, every person who comes will get the first round of the uh, Watch More Jess Franco movies stickers. Have, well, have them in my pocket. Each one you get them. They look great. They're really, they're really nice. And they're, yeah, and those will be, uh, who knows what sort of magical powers those will imbue when we start something that we have not really got to like announce yet on the podcast because yep. uh, we haven't been doing this for a minute. Um, so we have a tour going on with Severin, the great Severin. And we are going to be doing something called Francomania, one word. And. Or Jesus and Furs, TBD. Jesus and Furs, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got it. We spent most of this time spent away is coming up with a name. So, yep. um, the Hot Nights of Franco. And, and then when we when we get to show some Franco porn, finally, we can call those the uh, hard banana edition. The hard banana, hard banana screenings. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it'll be the erotic rights of J- Jesse, Jesse, Frank. Jesse Frankie, <laughs> Jesse Frankie. Um, yeah, you never know. But we're going to be doing that. I think we so this year 2023 let's get it straight because we got a lot of stuff yeah. we're spending a lot of plates right now yeah we that should come in the tour itself will probably kick into full gear january in january yes so yeah. but leading up to that we're yeah. going to be doing some screenings will mention we're going to be hanging out on november 17th at dante's tavern we will be screening that movie we're just there to chill and also most of these screenings can serve as something of a fundraiser. So when we put this idea together, we were like, well, we're just going to go show some movies a couple places. But quickly that grew. And yep. demand has... They want it, which is cool to know that people want to see Franco in the theater so bad. Right. And as a lot of things, it takes money to do this, especially in the days of travel being astronomically expensive so Severin can do a a lot for us but we do need to fundraise to be able to do this proper because we want to take this international eventually so we will be using utilizing most of these events as ways to uh, give donation money we will start a fundraiser eventually we also have a patreon which is that's the ultimate fundraise because when you're a patreon member you're going to get exclusive things to these Franco screenings. Yep. So um, there's will be a lot of goodies in store for our long wondering, when do I get something? When do I get a treat? Patreon members. Yep. So uh, 
we've given you some, but there's there's gonna be some really cool stuff coming up with that. So um November 28th, also we're doing our highs and lows screening with the movie Practical Magic, directed by Griffin Dunn. It's like an LL. If you haven't seen it, it's like an LL Bean October catalog come to life. But but good. But good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we all know what we're there for. Other than an incredibly erotic performance by Ramona Slick, maybe. And, us. and well, can I can I just get to it? I'm getting. I'm excited. You're I'm very excited. excited. And I'll take a step back. Continue. Thank you. We will might be on that stage as well. In some capacity, it should be very fun. And uh, yeah, so we'll be doing Vampiros Lesbos that night. So yeah. that should be pretty packed. So And surprise, surprise, uh, they have not announced it yet. Um, but you'll be able to buy um brand new never existed till right now for this screening shirts from Severn and Paul Bear Press of Vampiros Lesbos so you'll be able to take one home with you should you desire which you should um, they're really they're really they're, they're, they're sick yeah they're pretty cool yeah so yeah that's we have another shirt technically <laughs> yeah yeah, and there'll be an, another shirt later on down the line. As yeah, there will be another. Um, we are never short of apparel. We will constantly, we will outfit your entire closet. Someday we'll make an Oscar bait shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, in December, we're, December, we're figuring it out still, but there will be at least one, probably a couple Franco screenings in December. Outside um, of Chicago, we should say. Outside of Chicago. Um, if something comes up and someone wants to do one in Chicago also, we'll add that to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're filling up fast. So if you know some, if you're a programmer <laughs> and we know a lot of you are, yep. uh, if you want to hit us up, we'll, uh, we'll get something on the books for you. Cause we're literally trying to do this, be like the, the Bob Dylan never ending tour. Yeah. It, it'll just keep going. It'll just like a fucked up merry-go-round <laughs> yeah. so please hit us up if you yeah. want to do that or hit up uh matt harding at severin he's yep. doing a lot of this for us so yeah it's gonna fill up fast so let's let's we want to literally milk well not literally milk but we want to <laughs> <laughs> we want to we want to really <laughs> Get use the most of each city we go to in states. So we'll yeah. anyway. That's and what. Then, and then in January, again, this isn't you know this isn't live on websites yet or whatever, so we're not going to get into the details. But um, the Stray Cat, which is a nonprofit volunteer run uh, micro cinema of sorts in John's homeland of KC Mo. Uh, we are going to join Stray Cat um, for a week's worth of programming. All the details will be revealed at some point, and what the subject of that week will be, we'll tell you later. But we're going to do a full week of movies with them. And on January 27th, we can tell you, this is a Saturday, the last day of this retro will be a Jess Franco double feature. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Maybe it'll start the officially start the tour. It might be another sort of 
appetizer before the tour really kicks off. Because, like I said, we have to meet a certain amount of our kind of our fundraising goal before we can really take off on the road and do it the way we want it and you want it, which means everybody gets some Franco. That's right. So much Franco to go around. And for the Kansas City show, hearing word, Travis Kelsey and his new girlfriend, Taylor Swift, they might show up. Uh, if if I let her in. Yeah. Oh, she'll be in. We'll she's going to be in trying to make a huge Frank ahead. So. She's got to earn it. I hear she's a director on par with Spielberg. So. She is. So Sean Levy said that. Mm-hmm. So And there's a, always, there's a guy who shoots with the same rapid pace as a Jess Franco. When one should say. <laughs> None of the skill. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> All right, so let's just get into because you, you've waited a long time for us to return yeah. to do more Francos, and we're going to use this as a bit of a let's see where we've gone so far. Where we've we've pulled the boat ashore and to a little dock. We're not on Franco Island. We're on a little weird tourist island. We're just getting a little grub before we get back on the boat. But we're talking about what we've seen so far. The things that have stood out been the most memorable maybe surprised us the most and we're gonna each boy we're really playing the the dumb little podcast game now aren't we we are. we have five that we have five, told- five 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah five, yeah five <laughs> that have meant something to us along the way and we don't know what they are yet each one has so if one says the other had on their list we got to move down and pick another one so okay. we're we're really about to become the graveyard ghoulie guys <laughs> yeah and yeah. i didn't even bring my notebook with all of them listed in order down because i want to test see if my brain still works at all so it's going to be fun when john takes one i'm really excited about and then i have to use my brain instead of my notebook I'm not using notes either. This is a note-free day. This is a well. I've got notes still, but you know. But we're but we're the spooky boys today. That's Witchy William, and I'm <laughs> jump scare. And <laughs> damn, good work. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about movies, but I love Johnny Jump Scare so much. <laughs> Johnny jumps. He loves. Yeah. I love certain websites. That that was Johnny Jump Scare. Johnny Jump Scare. <laughs> so spooky. <laughs> so before we uh, turn into a listicle podcast, uh, as the gods have decided, we are going to have a, a a moment of reflection and honesty about something that can happen when you are going at an absolutely unreal pace through 182 movies. Um, so on our episode where we talked about, uh, among other things, we talked about Jess Franco's cannibal films, cannibals and devil hunter. Uh, the first movie we talked about briefly on there, uh, is a movie called, uh, Violuna de Miel, AKA what a honeymoon, AKA the gold bug. And we talked about it, uh, in the same way that thrower does. Where, you know, we all we knew was it's based on Edgar Allan Poe short, but that hadn't been able to see it. And that a negative had been found in 2018, but nothing had come from it since. Now, what's funny is we d- 
didn't think to one check if that was still the case, which it is. It's never been released on disc. But the best part this morning, because I had a sneaking suspicion, I looked back through our texts because during lockdown, the guy who found that negative, the museum and archive he works with, they scanned and made English subtitles for this movie and put it up on their Vimeo for like two weeks or some shit. And we texted about it when that news broke. We texted about a lost Franco film being found and how excited we were. So embarrassing. Because it's one of the things of being in a soup of different titles also that neither of our brains, when we were doing that episode, were like, wait, this has changed since Thoreau wrote this book. Um, So anyway, we didn't actually talk about the movie. So before we get to our listing, we are going to talk about this movie. Um, This is one of the, this is the first of three times Jess Franco would use Edgar Allan Poe's The Gold Bug as a very loose jumping off point. I won't spoil the other two because we'll get to them soon enough. Um, But yeah, so this is a, this is not really at all based on The Gold Bug outside of the gold bug itself. Um, but uh, this is about a woman who really wants a rich husband. So she finds, she hires someone to <laughs> research this island she's going to, this vacation spot to find the richest man for her so she can seduce him. And she chooses the richest and the stupidest. And she does it. And then they get married and that's where we start. That's yeah. And where we start is really kind of the best part of this thing <laughs> because it's Lena. The opening scene's amazing. It's Lena looking curvaceously delicious, more than she probably ever has. And she's just walking uh, this beach with this flimsy, like the the kind of bikini, you know, Megan the stallion dances at the VMA. Yeah. Like it's like yeah. <laughs> like it's this just a thong bikini yeah. and she's got one tit just popped out well and it's amazing too because as always we're in franco land obviously permits never existed for any of his movies no. but this is one of the most insane examples of them just being on a very populated beach with a camera and lena romay with her booby out and many a passerby noticing was <laughs> great glee. <laughs> oh, there's that family. There's like a family that's clearly walking by and the dad like yeah. yelling at these kids to move. And then she walks by and he's like, it takes a double take, but the camera <laughs> keeps moving. Yeah, this feels like Jess and Lena just maybe having a little personal fun. Let's like, you know, mm-hmm. hey, baby, go walk around in this very, you know, non-bikini suit. Barely yeah. a bikini. Barely it's underwear. Amazing. I mean, she's basically nude walking around uh, with one titty popped out and she keeps looking at the camera, which is Jess. So when there's such a grin right before she uh, asks the dude she's made her target to marry to untie her bikini for her because she can't do it herself, (laughs) even though it's already off. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It makes right. no sense. It's but just she, look, uh, she looks. It's not like because there are times Lena has clearly accidentally looked at the camera and then just moves on. This one is a direct look right at Jess with a little grin, and it's so sweet. Absolutely, because on two levels, this movie is two things. One, the strongest element is that this is what a honeymoon for Jess and Lena. Now they didn't officially get married at this point in time, but. They were starting to live together. They'd gone through some relationships that didn't work out. And 
they are now officially able to hang out and be with each other. Although Lena Ramez disappeared, it is now Candy Coster. Uh, but she doesn't have the blonde wig here. This is I, I don't I think this is Lena. It looks like her real hair. Well, it it scene to scene it changes. It changes, but in the opening, I mean, you know, the opening I believe is real Lena hair, and then it, the length of it changes a little bit sometimes. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. But it definitely feels like they're on their honeymoon, and they're kind of having some perverse hot wifey <laughs> things going on. Absolutely. And they're just, it looks fun. It looks like they're having this like really horny time together. Now, yeah. on the other hand, the movie is this plot, which no one, I mean, I, yeah, this is a sex comedy of sorts. I think the closest you could compare it to, if you really want to maybe inject some bad faith into it is that you could say it's like a Barbara Stanwyck, William Wellman, like thirties, you know, climbing to the top sort of movie. Something you'd see in one of those TCM forbidden Hollywood sets. Yes. That's exactly what this is. Absolutely. (laughs) That's what it felt like, but without as, without much as much of the focus as a lot of those great masterpieces have but focus is not the point here i mean like this movie disappeared for a long time it was only just rediscovered like a couple years ago so it was clearly not something that meant like a lot as an artistic statement for jess but you could see i I bet that they watched this in their later years together yep little you know little vino smoked like you know 20 packs of cigarettes like, <laughs> yeah but this was their anniversary movie like each year they would pop this one on you know yeah. it's like a yeah. sexy home video because well because there's know. also mixed with we don't have to get into the plot stuff because also even though obviously john and i always have varying levels of enjoyment of the comedies um so you know i like this one a lot more than you do i think but outside of the comedy stuff part of the magic is like you said, they're clearly just on vacation. So some of the interstitials are fucking amazing. This like crazy outdoor carnival and uh, like shopping center that they're at um, that just just peppers throughout the mm-hmm. beginning of the film as this silly plot is starting to take off. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, class in classic Jess world, the plot can't really sustain itself because um, he just doesn't care that much. But I think this one's a little different because of what you said that the two of them are just having a blast, just like making a movie in the middle of a lot of people slash jungles. <laughs> so there we are. There we've, we've, it's fun. It's, it's really, fun. I, I, this one genuinely makes me laugh a couple times, but truly, you know, if, if you don't necessarily enjoy uh, comedies like this, you probably won't find a lot to love, but if you do, you'll get some giggles. That's going to segue perfectly into the second half of this episode which is going to be us like i said talking about these movies that we've come across along the way that have somehow stuck in our minds maybe it was one that looked better on a second time for us maybe we had a revelation it can be anything maybe it was so bad that it like went down for you in estimation who knows what we're gonna say but this is to kind of highlight what this journey has been so far and you know personally and i know it's probably going to be double for will but i have a gigantic list of movies that were i mean say what you want about the guy hack whatever like you can't produce this many heaters 
and I mean true heaters, yeah. and be the hack that you say he is. He just makes a lot of movies, so not all of them are going to stick. But most directors would be, and of Euro exploitation horror genre directors of this time, would be quite happy to have this many <laughs> bangers in their arsenal. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's arguably has the most bangers. So... We are not going to get to all of those. Like there are some that are to me went the highest, but I don't, I'm not going to mention in this five because when we come to the end of this, we will, we'll talk about those, the ones that we think are untouchable in the most. And it's going to break my heart to leave some of these off, but this is just a little fun meet in the middle before we continue in about a week or so with the rest of the Franco files. So I guess Will Witchy William, do you wanna you wanna start us off with your first pick? Witchy William, fresh from the grave. Hey, ooh, he's spooky. <laughs> oh, so right. Well, I, I wanted to start. Um, I was looking back through all these things we'd gone through last night and this morning, and uh, I wanted to start with one that I think if anyone for whatever reason at home is playing along and going in the production order. Uh, one of the, one of the first times that we, and we talked about it on the episode a little, but one of the first times we really get to see the mischievous, really, I would say wildly intelligent, well-rounded human and also great filmmaker that is Jess Franco. So the first one I want to talk about and return to, it's a little basic, but it rules diabolical Dr. Z, AKA, Miss Muerte. And someone asked me the other day, they were like, I'm, I'm starting, here's what I have at home. And they told me the list and I was like, hop into Di- Diabolical Dr. Z. Because we get not only some amazing, you know, gothic filmmaking, we get the pulpy um, stuff that Jess loves. We get a plot that actually doesn't crumble under its own weight, despite having a lot going on. Um, it's fucking gorgeous to look at. We also get him making jokes about Robert Bresson. Uh, we get him, you know, riffing on shit like Irma Vep. Like, there's just so much of what makes Jess special, I think, is really baked into this movie. And it's kind of crazy how early it comes that it is this strong. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, well, so what can you say? This is like Jess when he just, he really starts to become Jess. Like, this is a very fully formed. Uh, <laughs> artist at this point and you know taking taking those gothic cues from awful dr orloff and taking it into a more personal space instead of it just being a perfect homage to like past cinema which you know it kind of reminds me boy some people are gonna start pissing blood with this comparison but uh it kind of reminds me of like how pedro costa starts with Osang Yu, this film that is kind of a homage to the black and white films of Murnau, Jacques Tourneur, uh, you know, even a little bit of like Charles Lawton's Night of the Hunter and yep. does the perfect homage. And then right after that, with uh, Casa de Lava, starts becoming the filmmaker that we've come to know him as. So yep. I would say Orloff is like a perfect homage and it's the movie that really starts the Spanish horror boom. And then Diabolical Dr. Z is that just like really dialed in 
And yeah, no, they, you can't fuck with that movie. That's and perversion. That's an important thing I didn't yeah. say. This is where we get to see Jess start to show off how much he loves perversity and start to put it into these movies. It's yeah. just a fucking great horror movie, even outside of Jess. It's just a good ass, nasty little horror movie. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Can't argue with you there. All right. What you got, ho? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Now we're throwing it over to Johnny Jump Scare. Yeah, Johnny Jump Scare. <laughs> Chains rattling. <laughs> yeah, I've got this like motherfucking like uh steampunky top hat on. I'm like, but a ghostly demeanor with zombie makeup. Yep. Oh, wait, I just saw it. Yeah, four strangers just snuck by and got out your door after your poly party from last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they steal from me a lot, but you know. That's fine. Just don't let them take diabolical Dr. Z. No, that's the one thing they can't do. They can rob me of my soul and my like my time, but not that. Well, speaking of, yeah, sex, uh, people fucking a lot. I, my first one is going to be probably the biggest surprise I've had. Oh, you know what it is. Cause I, Am I ready to cross it off. Go yeah, ahead. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I had to say it now before Will said it. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is the one that really shocked me. Uh, uh, just like completely had no idea this would be the most like synthesized, but loosest, dreamiest, you could almost say non-film of his career. And that's Les Glutones, his uh, otherwise known as something like Massiste in the Amazon of sexy ladies or something. Yeah, this is... This is uh, kind of why we started this, and that's why I'm going to lead with it, because it's like we knew that going along, we were going to have a great time revisiting films that meant a lot to us and seeing them now deeper within the context of this filmmaker and his cinematic universe. And this is one I had really not even heard of, knew about, certainly not seen. So... You know, it's it's around the time and I wasn't watching around this time a lot of the things in order because it was just kind of like when we could get them I would put them on so like you know this was around the time of like shit like the ticklers they shot in like these fucking movies that all look the same because I have like these French titles so it lays glutone is just kind of like sunk into this pile of like all right I'll put it on when I put it on and Boy, it what a dream world. What a dream world. I mean, Thrower even talks about like how thinking about this one too much dissipates its magic. And I do think that there's this like fragile magic, this apparition like quality to this movie. And certainly it has no remaster. There's like, I think, a VHS of it yep. that once existed. Maybe if we're in business with you or if you're a competing blu-ray company you should uh someone should get on this lace glutones because it is the thing that really ignites and lets you know that this is a guy from a filmmaker that can truly take take on the phantom realm of filmmaking and yeah this is about machis the famous italian peblum strongman hero guy yeah those things and he's <laughs> in the amazon essentially trying to like 
See, I didn't review it for this, but I'm trying to remember the plot, and I can barely remember the plot of this movie. But I can help you if you need. Well, he's like doing something with trying to like set free like these Amazonian women, and what's it? What turns out to be Atlantis. But it's also like all this plot shit has really not much to do with the movie. It's about mood and imagery and the beautiful psychedelic score it sounds like bill frizzle like it's yeah. really um what it's it's amazing that it takes place on all these different levels of reality it's clearly shot around the same time of hot nights of linda you have alice arno reading a book in bed which is part of her imagining this world but then you have the world of atlantis that she's the queen of that she meets machiste <laughs> but then there's another world of everyone's favorite Cagliostro played by Vernon right. again, not credited, which is crazy. Um, awesome. Kind of a beautiful surprise. I didn't know it was coming. So it was just like erotic rights of Frankenstein's probably going to be in my top Franco's oh. journey. Yep. So to see him, re you know, play that character again was really something and even his undead friends return and this is just cinematic playland i don't know I, i'm gonna just ramble about it but it's uh, you know no one has the most filmmakers do not have the stuff to tackle an idea and see it through in this way where it would barely barely hold together but because it's lumbering and you can feel its joints kind of breaking apart and coming back together yeah it just achieves something gonna say kind of like unlike i've ever seen in a movie experience yep. before yep i think it highlights perfectly that jazz magic too because in a lot of ways you know you say it's just a wild experimental film but it's not that either because jess can't resist his pulpy interests and he loves goofy plot stuff he does love it but when it works perfectly here where it is i would call it what like 75 percent a crazy hard art experimental movie but then the other uh the other 35 percent to fair or 25 percent however mass works <laughs> to oh, finish really? that out with these crazy plot ideas in these different worlds he nails it so it makes it even more discombobulating than just yeah. watching you know something that's truly just images and sound like it really it's really engaging and it's fucking hilarious and uh you know it's just it's magic i will probably i feel like we'll both cry when if this one is ever discovered if the negative does exist and it can be restored this is truly going to be quite a, quite a fucking astonishing experience yeah yeah it really will be and uh if you put it together you know there you go you got two bright young men who would love to do a commentary track for it so you know <laughs> and hey as as i said to john we're never going to get a commentary track because thrower and tim lucas exist but a fun thing that some labels do sometimes is they have two new commentary tracks just to see just maybe to see. you want to hear from the historian and then maybe you want to hear from the enthusiasm yes yeah. Or we kill Stephen Thrower and look <laughs> who's not this expert anymore. <laughs> Come on the show first, though, bud. <laughs> <You're> going, yeah. <laughs> joking, joking. Not going to kill Stephen Thrower. Yeah, but no, this is this this movie. Uh, this movie is pure pure pleasure. Yeah. 
Agreed. Your pleasure. It's great. Um, all right. Next, I'll I'll switch up the order I had planned just to we're gonna stay in this realm and you won't be surprised here. But uh this one, this one is will probably be in my top five at the end of this. We'll see. You never know, because it's also hard to say that because there are, like you said at the top, truly too many masterpiece theater things going on. So it's gonna kill us to choose. But for now, next talk about Lisa Brown Lace. <laughs> we'll see maybe that's our only two crossovers maybe we'll see but so Lace Bronlace World of Al Pereira um, but as we talked about trying to rehash things we did on the episode um, but in the in that world where he's a, you know for higher PI um, up to this point when Al Pereira uh, or Al Crosby or whatever name they're using uh, appears in the Francoverse it's been a lot sillier um a lot of good ones, a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's been a lot sillier. This this one, and why I love it so much, is you know I love Bummer Jess, and this is one of the most sneakily <laughs> brutal Bummer Jess ones that exists. Um, so yeah, this is our Bud getting hired to do stuff, as per usual. Um, but he ends up in this crazy realm of these women running a drug trafficking uh, and human trafficking uh place secret place for rich people a secret club and yes the house of vice and um without all the comparisons that we'll talk about again this i think is just it, it belongs in some of my favorite films that are truly a descent into hell that you didn't realize was until it's too late like babylon uh, yeah <laughs> just just like babylon yeah um but yeah, this the way this movie moves, it really does trick you in a great way. Um, where you're like, yeah, 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 we're doing the PI film noir kind of thing, whatever, doing that. And then before you know it, um, you are firmly not just viewing, you are a part of, it feels like watching this, this horrific, uh, hyper wealthy underworld um that Al Pereira has found himself in. And again, it's important that he's a fucking piece of shit in this one, because that's what really makes it sing, is that we don't, you think you might throughout, but we don't really have someone to cheer for. This is just, like you said, this is a house of ice. We are in a we are in a territory where people are all doing really bad stuff to each other. Um, but as we talked about, we end up with inarguably, in our opinion, where the Red Room and or Black Lodge comes from in its genesis uh in the world of in the world of david lynch because it is so exactly that um and then yeah just like with the episode we will not spoil the ending of this one but if you look it up on letterboxd and see what people say you might be like wow i want to avoid this one this is going to be something that really bums me out watching in a 2023 lens but you will be surprised that it is not that it's very interesting in the realm of uh, a certain trope that people liked to use a lot at this time and throughout the 80s and 90s. And surprise, surprise, Franco does it four times, if I'm remembering correctly. And all of them are actually interesting and worthwhile, I would say. And not what you think and not just played for a joke. Um, yeah, this this one, this one, along with Lace Glutones, but this one even more so, I would straight up. I'll take you can take a kidney if we can get a restoration of this movie because <laughs> yeah. the, the music as well. And that's such a big part of it. When we get to the red room, black lodge stuff, 
the soundscape that's happening even on a degraded VHS rip uh, really, really just pulls you in even if you don't want it to. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is an incredibly tantalizing movie because we want it to look better. You know? It's again that power Franco. This truly looks like dog shit if you watch it. Absolute dog shit. But if you watch it, the spell still comes through. And that's mm-hmm. amazing. That's hard to pull off. Yeah, this is a horribly faded VHS rip that at some point just becomes a block of colored mess. Like it's this movie really needs the restoration. Possibly what could be holding it back is this ending, which is silly because it's a horrifyingly disgusting, makes you feel sick in your stomach ending, but in a good way. Yeah, but just, you know, pay attention to what's happening and less yeah. like what you read on Letterboxd about what it is. Because, yeah, like I said, we, uh, Franco's going to reckon with this ending throughout a couple movies to come. And I really kind of put this movie of the the noir, postmodern detective movies that Franco does, which can, do usually... I'm not going to lie around this time, feel a lot like that kind of parody thing and just kind of like, mm, we're having fun, you run around, like downtown. I love yeah. the atmosphere of downtown. Like that's a movie that feels like hot summer day and you're just sipping rum and yeah. just, you know, listening to nice music. But it's not really like, it does, it, it's goofier. It's a goofier kind of more laid back vibe when that there's going to be a lot of those in the crime area for him. There are going to be some serious crime ones too. Kiss Me Killer. <laughs> Oof. But this is where he gets as close, I think, to when he does the crime films in the next era we're going to talk about, the 80s. And I think that they get a little more focused and stronger. But this is... Uh, this is as close as we're going to get to him getting to that point of making those kinds of crime films. And yeah, no, this is, yeah, it's hard to not spoil that ending. Cause obviously I won't, did we even mention it in the, we didn't, we didn't say it directly. And I think we should keep not saying it. Directly. Okay. We'll, we'll just keep. Yeah. Cause it just to say progressive is a strong word and I think an overused word, and I'm not trying to use that here. But what I will say is it's clear that Jess and Lena are not liars when they talk about all the different kinds of amazing artists and people they hung out with throughout their life together. They ran into all sorts of people who were not accepted in uh, most of society. And, you know, you can tell you can. And they gave them pretty. Jess handles this in a more interesting and human way than anyone else was doing at the time. And than a lot of people still do now. You know what? It's, it's smarter in that way. Maybe you could say it's a little rougher, but it may not meet the 2023 standards. So just let that go. We can't keep fighting the past like this constantly. It's a dark, dark depth journey into uh, people who are given roles to be heroes, typically in movies that really can, reveal themselves to be quite ugly. And and that's, yeah, like you said, yeah, Al Pereira, he's just going to get uglier as he moves on. Life is hard for Mr. Al Pereira. 
Yep. And he got so ugly with this one that Jess was like, oh, I can finally play him. Now he's truly scum. It's my yeah. turn to play off for her next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I get to have a threesome with my actor. Oh, yeah. maybe. Maybe, I'll, maybe that's why I'll step in this one time. Yeah. All right, what's next? Okay, next on the list. You know, I'll probably just say it now because I think you're going to say it. <laughs> But uh, another one we got the we had a big fun time talking about. Seriously, in need of a restoration. Maybe there's one coming. It's Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein. I actually kept it off my list because I love you. <laughs> yeah, there, it's true. There's a couple I left off mine. I'm like, well, we'll go right <laughs> that, so I don't need to mention it. Yeah, Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein. We we talked a. We went very long about this on our episode about um, when we covered this movie. I don't remember which one that was. And since we didn't do a very good job listing which ones we talk about in the episodes, I guess you're going to have to listen to all of them. So, ducks. But <laughs> just what you'd expect from two, two uh, shock jock scary boys like us. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We love Halloween. Uh, all right. We better whistle. talk about talk about. Yeah, sorry. I just saw my childhood leave my body yeah, when I said yeah. that. But um, yeah. Uh, this is a movie that makes that childhood that used to love horror movies at the degree he did come right back into my soul because this is a movie that has kept up with a person who has grown up on shit like house of frankenstein or dracula or uh, uh, frankenstein meets the wolfman the very first yeah. movie i ever bought when i was a kid with some money that i got for doing chores around the house this is a movie that plays to those memories but also does something new something strange something abstract with these images knows enough that these characters dracula the frankenstein monster dr frankenstein his hunchbacked assistant the wolfman are all characters that some people are still trying to figure out and this is why i want to talk about this one mostly is because no one seems to know what to do with these amazing characters anymore in the 90s they put them in like Pizza Hut ads, Pepsi ads, they were on everything. McDonald's, they had shows that even tried to bring back their popularity. There was that Rick Moranis cartoon, uh, Gravesdale High. Oh my God, I absolutely forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing that I loved watching, but disappeared very quickly as kids. Uh, I still have the Burger King toys probably somewhere because. Yeah, I know they're they're definitely in Kansas City. When we're when we're back there, we'll we'll find them. We'll find them right next to your Girls Gone Wild DVDs. Those are still in the crawl space, and they've never <laughs> been taken out of the wrapper. So, if my mom ever listened to this, she could she knows where they are. Coming but, soon for a giveaway at one of our screenings near you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can burn them. Yeah. So. So these are characters that just seem to exist in limbo. I mean, there was the dark universe recently, you know, like it seems to be that there's a lot of filmmakers that approach these characters and they don't really even want to fuck with them. I'm talking about your boy. And I know you love this movie. K 
Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. Oh, it's an awful Frankenstein movie. It is yeah. just a fucking great accident movie. That's well, how he, I feel. Like that. Well, he was a great filmmaker still at that point in his life. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah. You know, it's, but it he sucks also, but it's amazing to behold. Which one? His like four hour Hamlet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but but I'm saying with these characters, like he clearly doesn't give a shit about the Frankenstein monster. He cares about the novel. He wants to make something classy with it. Uh, Coppola was really the only one that I felt like wanted to get at something with Dracula. And I think he actually, probably the only one, and I think it's the problem you're talking about, I think most filmmakers don't see them as well-formed characters. And I think that's the problem. You know, they're just like, yeah. okay, cool. There's a mummy. He makes sounds. There's a Wolfman. He bites people, but they right. don't care to actually understand that these are well-written, well-thought-out, very interesting characters. And Coppola definitely felt that way. Right. And his presences, like his image presences, they command a power because you don't have to, do backstory with this shit you know you don't need dracula untold you don't need a million mummy movies that are like uh you know like tom cruise becoming the mummy at the end to become part of an avengers team these are just these fucking morons in hollywood that just didn't care about these characters and it shows and it's always and it might always show. I mean, with a Van Helsing movie, weirdly, Stephen Summers clearly had fun with his mummy movie. But when it came to this, it's just video game vibes in the worst way possible. Uh, too much CGI, too much over the topness. Anyway, you know, and I know they cut out the creature from the Black Lagoon from that movie. They might as well have just tossed it in because at least that would have had something to this delirium and this is a jumping off point because i saw that i remember the storyboards for this for van helsing and it was like randomly the creature from the black lagoon pops up and it's like stephen summers or whatever and the producers are like well we got to take it out it makes no sense and there is the point at which separates this movie because this is a movie that understands that these are images and characters that command this deep presence within the viewer, especially Jess Franco. And he has a love for him. Like you like the line in succubus where the character is going around, look at all of them. She says, none of these characters, these universal monsters scare her, but she has so much love for them. And that is what we're seeing here. This movie has a plot that I also cannot recall. Dracula is got the Frankenstein monster like he tends to do in most of these movies and he's doing something. So that's plenty. That's all you need. That's all you need to start. Just like the universal monster movies. You don't pitch the plot to someone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You really don't. You just, you just let this movie unfold in images and sound. And like we talked about in the episode, about this movie this is basically a silent movie except for a couple little lines of dialogue so when we talk about this experimental jess we mean that like he's experimenting with form in a way no one was really doing paul nashi picks up this mantle a little bit and does some very successful werewolf meets the something movies um our personal favorites probably werewolf versus the vampire woman uh, which I believe that's the one where you first see the blind dead. I think it is. It's not Frankenstein's right. I think you're right. They go to that old ruins and there's just this 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Walk this dead, undead, blind monk walking around. So beating uh, De Osorio just by a few years. That's right. And uh, and and that gets closer to what we're kind of talking about is a movie like that. But Jess outdoes his rival Paul Nashi. Oh. Here, uh, Paul Nashi also said that Jess should be in jail for the films he makes. <laughs> <laughs> which lets uh, you know somebody's jealous when people are speaking that hyperbolically it always means something uh-huh Paul <laughs> didn't have a a sexy hot wife near his side and it's funny how he talks about like the kind of like degeneracy of franco movies where it's like buddy your movies are not moving in an indifferent company you know you're you're clearly circling the same brain I would also say the sexual violence in Nashi movies is, uh, if we're looking at things from 2023, far more suspect than it is in a Jess Franco movie. Sure, yeah, I think you could easily make that argument. Yeah, and, and we're not here to talk shit talk to Paul Nashi movies. Most no, of them, we love, quite, oh, we love we love that man. Most <laughs> of them are quite great. Uh, Count Dracula's Great Love. Oh, yep. Ugh, beautiful yep. movie. Beautiful movie. Better and than we'll talk for ten hours about Frenchman's Garden. We'll there. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, it's better than the Jess Franco Count Dracula. So that's I get that's one thing he's got for him. Even though I, the Count, the Jess Count Dracula still lives pleasurably in my mind. But anyway, this is a whole different thing altogether. This is him doing comic book style in the kind of grand tradition of a silent movie, and it's image, sound, and this plot, and it's just, uh, it's something that you just wish existed as you get older an abstract version of your favorite you know monsters from childhood someone who grew up with all the universal movies the monster squad shit like this yeah this is uh this is a movie that most there's a lot of people i think waiting to see this movie because it is extremely hard to find there is a blu-ray that came out it is not in the best quality by the german company that put it out but it's the very best we have right now. And I know it's leaked its way online to some people. I don't think you can buy the German Blu-ray anymore. But um, I'll sell it to you when someone restores it. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully soon some of our friends are uh, working on this puppy. But uh, it's truly, I think, last thing for me on this one, part of its magic is, like you said, it's comic book realm, but it's also that silent movie realm, especially where... When we were still in the silent era, there weren't any rules yet. And there weren't people, whether film critics or just random ass people, to say, this isn't following the rules that have been established for this kind of movie. And that's why Jess is so amazing, because he exists like those silent filmmakers where he's like, what do you mean? There aren't any fucking rules. Shut the hell up. And so that's why a movie like this can be a comic book movie and also an experimental movie, also an art house movie, and also a great time at the Universal Monster Camp. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's highest recommendation. All right. Well, I spent a long time on that one. Let's, uh, we <laughs> wanted to quick. keep this under an hour. Yeah. What's, what's the. Okay. Uh, my next one, uh, Eugenie Decide. Yeah. So this one, and y'all know if you've been following along, it gets confusing in the Eugenie realm. There's three of them. Well, there's more than that, but there's three in title. And <laughs> uh, this yeah, is the one, this is the second one 
title wise. And this is the one that is about a young teenage woman uh, who lives with her father, who is a extreme fiction writer, fiction, if you will, before that was a stupid term. Uh, and um, they are serial killers together. That is a wild oversimplification, but that is the you know loose log line of this movie. Um, the reason this one continues to swirl in my brain is people ask all the time for genuinely upsetting serial killer movie recommendations. Um, they get tired of, you know, for a, a lame way to say it, but like almost happy-go-lucky serial killer movies where there's really nothing to it and you don't leave with anything. You're not thinking about anything. This is the exact opposite. And for my money belongs in the absolute top tier of serial killer movies that actually do something to your heart and your soul and your brain um, thinking about what that means. And it's Franco. So we're not without our pleasures. Some of my favorite sequences he's ever made in this movie. There's a photography sequence that truly jaw dropping for me. Um, but why it's so special and why I want to highlight it with him is we rarely get uh, a Jess realm that is this cold and yeah. truly is this effective in the realm of just how, you know, how dark humans can be um, and what it what it would actually mean and what it would actually do to a psyche if you were actually killing people instead of just making art about killing people and it came back up to I, it probably wouldn't have been in this one today but it came back up the other day because someone was um, people were talking about Lars von Trier a lot of course because that new Curzon box set and you know all that stuff uh, and someone was asking a certain screening coming up everyone's talking about a certain screening coming that's up right. Yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> oh yeah we didn't mention that one in December Freddie got fingered on 35 and Lars von Trier's the idiots uh, but anyway, someone was uh, talking about Lars von Trier and serial killer interests and like all of that stuff. And I recommended this one to them. Uh, and I got genuinely teary eyed talking about it. <laughs> You're uh, such a soft bitch. I know, but I'm not. But this this movie, I I feel like this movie, honestly, jokes aside, would be a good test to see if someone is a sociopath <laughs> to see how they react to this. <laughs> Because like we said, it's not without its pleasures and it's not without sexy stuff. It's not without jokes, but it is firmly, firmly rooted in going on a journey to find out what this kind of activity does to a child and what it does to an adult, um, you know, and it's Jess. So there, it's incest too. So yay. <laughs> yeah, but it's incest. But it's fucking stunning. This is just a stunning art house film through and through for me. Yeah. Now this seems like it should have come out in the nineties. Yeah. Yep. That's this kind of transgressive um, quality that is way more than the ones that just try to shock you with like excessively violent imagery, which to me is always a benchmark of laziness. I mean, some people do it to a plume, but it's usually something that immediately turns me off because it's just like. Yeah, I could have anyone could have gotten some cow intestines and fucking <laughs> laddered around on stick, you know. So it's like this movie isn't a very bloody movie, but there's something so unnerving to it that rewatching it, it just grew further up my estimation uh of of its greatness. And it's just yeah, it's it's it it really is lonely too. That's what's interesting. It's not so much hurts so much. 
it, it isn't so much the violence. Um, I mean, that plays into this loneliness, but it's this father and daughter, I should say, played by Soledad Miranda, the you know. the hottest. I mean, we 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 can't praise Soledad enough. There's never been a presence quite like Soledad, and there never probably will be. Well, because it's that unreal time where someone who is truly so just objectively beautiful that it that it does take the wind out of your sails. But then the fact that also she is one of the greatest performers we ever had, then it's really, really too powerful. <laughs> and that's why it that's part of why this movie hits so hard is because you are watching her truly get in the headspace of what this would be like. Yeah. What it would be like to be, you know, trapped, trapped by your father in this. Cause there's a, you know, it's it's messy in a great way as far as um, consent back and forth between the two of them. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's never lost that this is a child being forced into these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the wintry setting. You can tell that they were like a, that it's this, this beautiful relationship of a father and daughter that's been perverted to this extremity yep. being cooked in this house. Like a lot of these characters, Franco seems to be saying you should go outside all the time. That's More. his biggest thesis, truly. He's like, he's like, be be less weird about sex stuff, calm down, and just fucking go outside, guys. Go outside. Yeah, you don't need to be in all the time. It does horrible things to people in this world. And yeah. probably having too much money. Certainly something I've always tried to avoid for these very... We're great at it. Yeah, we're really we're good. good at it. Yeah, help ruin our lives by... <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's move on to my next one this is gonna be you know what let's just stay in this zone because i as much as i fought to keep this off because it seems obvious um it's just something that i haven't it's it's the power of re-watching this and it's a film i had seen before was so it just the tuning fork got tuned even harder Ooh. to jess and where he begins in his journey and this movie has really not left my mind and i keep fighting wanting to rewatch it but we don't have time because we have so much to get through. <laughs> yes. but i i had to go out another one that even after watching it i was like yeah, i gotta buy this because i know i'm gonna revisit this soon it's the other eugenie it's eugenie journey of her story of her journey into perversion yep uh, along with Diabolical Dr. Z, I think is this like amazing starting point for him as a filmmaker and what he's going to continue to do. This is a movie that you could potentially put on in a mix of Christopher Lee Euro horror movies of the 60s and the way it moves and starts you just you'd fall right into it but what you would find is a movie so different than its peers at the time the command of form that jess is using in this movie is staggeringly uh, amazing mm -hmm. it's it really flies in the face of everyone's derision uh just making fun of the guy and looking at all of his like faults perceived faults more uh, this is the one where you put it on along with some other of his movies that maybe we'll mention today where it's just like oh i see it i see i see this filmmaker for who he is and now that it's in a really beautiful edition you know it just proves like if you can get the better version of these movies 
just do it because the restoration helps with a lot of these. And yeah. I know certain movies will probably look better to me once they've been restored a bit. I, probably the, the other, the third Eugenie, I think will really, well, listen to that episode and it, you may see why it might never come out. But if that were restored, I think that movie would jump up in my estimation. But yeah, this is, uh, this is just top level stuff. Very top of the heap for this kind of stuff from the sixties. And it's, it just does with all these things or it dispenses with all these things that you would think would be in these movies that tie them to that time. But because it dispenses with that, it feels more closer to our current time because he's, he's really kind of trimming away certain aspects and making this very daring story for the time and the visuals and the music. Oh my God. Like this is just, it's so seductive. I mean, as you can tell, visuals and sound, the very base, like the, the absolute basics of what movies are, and we should never forget that they are. Jess knows that, and he pumps you with that. And we get these things, everything proceeds because of the images and sounds. And that's why Jess usually, not all the time, but usually is not the best with the dialogue. <laughs> the screenplays, the story, because, but that's not what he's after. Most filmmakers chase that and they stick to the bones of that all the way. Jess doesn't. And this is not as abstract as the rest of them. This one's closer to a normal, quote unquote, normal film of that time. But what makes it interesting, if you slot it in with other movies like this, you see why it's different. You see its modern aspects. You see the things that made us talk about why this feels like David Lynch was very much a fan of this movie. We and, talked about those curtains quite a bit. Oh, the curtain. Oh, the curtain scene. Oh, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, you can really start to see um, a lot of things in Jess really ramp up here along the lines of stuff like Succubus or Diabolical Dr. Z. Like he's coming into his own. The color in this movie is just out of this world. Um, yeah, it's a horror movie, I guess. You could say that in many ways this feels like the first big erotic horror movie, whereas Di Di Diabolical Dr. Z has some kinky stuff to it. This one's going full erotic. It's not yeah. softcore or hardcore, Brett, necessarily, but it's it's getting closer to something like that. Um, yeah, this one may be the one that I just keep thinking about the most, honestly, because I just want to put it on again and maybe maybe i will when we have a break but it's so hard not to i've done the same with this one <laughs> yeah i wanted to leave it off this list so bad because it was like oh it'll return in my top but it's just like i i we got to talk about it it's it's so good yep so anyway that's it's my just, uh, i mean it's the if you want like you said at the top if you want to understand the hypnosis the tuning fork all that shit we talk about um this is the movie to start that i think mm -hmm. i 100 percent agree yep all right what do you got take us home well not take us home yet let's hear your pen ultimate choice wait is this number four or five this, this is four. four should we just each do one more we went long of course <laughs> or we can do it quick. Okay. Let's, let's I'm just gonna, I'm actually quick. gonna I'm gonna uh I'm gonna do a, a cheat 
a little bit here, and I'm just going to do some praise for the world of the red lips, gals. Um, so I really, really, I really, I loved these films before we had gone on this journey. Um, but going through this journey, I really appreciate them even more, um, especially Two Female Spies and Flowered Panties. Um, and I mean, any of the latter ones, but, you know, Kiss Me Monster also I think is great, but just, it's a good reminder when, cause I've tried to, sh I've tried to show people Jess before and I've gone too heavy out the gate <laughs> where I, where I show you? them too much. Yeah, I know. Show them too much bummer Jess and they like it, but they're like, fucking Christ. <laughs> like, I'm sad. Thanks. I'm like, oh shit. I forgot to show you the fun, sexy ones. I forgot um, what, yeah. You forgot what people like outside of you. Yeah, I do that. Uh -huh. I do that sometimes. Um, but yeah, so it's just a shout out to watch all of the Red Lips films, I would say. And they're definitely varying in quality. Some I would call fucking excellent. Some I would call pretty good if you're into Franco. Um, but if you're looking for some fun to get you into the Franco world, or if you've watched a couple that are maybe a little too uh, truly, truly uh, transgressive, you take a little break, but you still get to tick some of the torture boxes, some of the fun, some of the perversion. Um, yeah, throw on any of the any of the Red Lips films. I'll keep I'll keep it at that. I don't need to commence more. And those are thankfully, you can get two female spies from Severin. You can get uh, two of the others from Vinegar Syndrome. Those are pretty widely available now. Um, outside of the very first one, and then a, a a deeper cut one that I will convince you on when it gets restored. But <laughs> um, yeah, just that's my it's my red lip shout out. I fucking love those girls. It's pure pleasure for me. But anyway, what's your what's your next? Well, I'm going to continue this just because I'm saying this one, not just because it has been one of the greatest of what we've watched so far, but also we need a stateside Blu-ray of this movie. There's a German one out there. It's fine, but I need some special features for this puppy because this movie, another shocking, surprising movie that I watched early on and I, I, I the, the rewatch was made it i mean i loved it even more but i want to speak to when i watched this i think during the pandemic when life was not so great and i was trying to get deep into jess and this is one that truly shocked me because it's not what i thought it was going to be in any way shape or form Ooh. that is love letters of a portuguese nun yes oh, i was hoping i kept it off mine in hopes that you would come through on this. So thank you. <laughs> I mean, it just, you think it's going to be like something of like story of a cloistered nun or any of these sort of like attempts at um, the devils, these nunsploitation movies where it's like nuns get kinky and they do some things and blah, blah, blah. Those movies are, a lot of them are fine. Yep. This is a movie that makes it seem like it's going to be that. And what you get is just one of Jess's, the sod movies because yep. like we've we mentioned on the episode it's about a girl who is basically sold into a nunnery by a uh disgusting but hilarious uh pedophile priest who <laughs> basically not only like just like steals this um peasant woman's daughter uh and robs her of innocence but he takes all the woman's money too. 
leaves her penniless so he can go rape the daughter in a convent. Now, yep, horrifying sounding stuff, right? However, what we are seeing, I'm not saying it's not horrifying, but what we see is this filmmaker who can do these things like really no one else can in this genre. He's not even just trying to shock and awe. This is like the genius of his humor coming through because this movie literally pulses along it's through its depravity its sadness by this incredibly fucked up sense of humor this black black sense of this angry like uh angry um sort of screaming into the void about institutions of power and um how they yeah, how they 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 usually are just fucking you know full of shit like uh, like the Red Cross right now. Uh, <laughs> so you think this woman, you know, this girl's like, oh, I'm going and being sold in this nunnery. I'm going to learn to become a nun. And you're like, oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough and everything. But it's really just a coven of Satan worshippers pretending yeah. that they have a uh, that they have this nunnery. So it's not even this like wow like the puritans against the women of the time which is very easy and obvious to do now jess takes it one step further and just makes it like no they're just possessed by the devil or demons or they're trying to do that uh satan shows up it's awesome horrific scene but somehow this movie like sadomania it just it it kind of feels comic booky in that way but without being like parody bullshit it truly walks a line that most filmmakers try to walk and they never you never know that they're walking that tightrope because they fall off each side in waves throughout the film yeah this is uh, a movie that i think more people would see and just walk away with this like devilishly horrified grimace on their face when it's over yep well, it's one of the it's one of the only times Jess nails that humor, like you said, of Desaad, because he's normally Jess is a soft boy. Yeah. So sometimes I do think it's hard for him to fully commit, but he does in this one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's the ultimate thing with his movies is like the battle between like lust, desire, and like pure emotional feeling. And yeah, he might be a guy who loves getting his rocks off with all sorts of, you know, perverted delights, but. He definitely knows how close those that fun can get to like just pure debasement. And uh and that's why it's that's why those sex things are fun for couples and people exploring that because you know it's like uh, uh BDSM to the mind. It's like get your mind whipped. You know? And but he understands that there are lines at which you can fall off so weirdly you can say that he makes these moral movies about these incredibly amoral situations he does he does i agree and as we've as we've shouted out before i think cat ellinger nails it when she talks about jess franco where she's very much like this dude has more respect and actual feminism in his bones and blood for women than almost all the filmmakers who make that their point of existence absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely I people mean, who have free will and are exploring the world to the best of their ability who also happen to be interested in uh avenues like this to try to understand the world but mm-hmm. it's fucking great it's fucking great jess is a jess is a friend of all 
Yeah. And also this movie just looks beautiful. It's got, he's got more money than he's had up until this point, you know, and he's doing something. Maybe that, maybe that's also, it. he's really doing something with that money. Yes. Um, and he does it with the demons too. But I just think that this is even more in line with what he likes to do and being able to do it within like the, the confines of like a bigger bag of moolah. Yep. Yep. I'm yeah. with you. Take us home, baby. My final one. Lucky the Inscrutable. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Four is good. I had to, I had to, I had to do it. Come on. I had to do it. You know, I, you know, I love Lucky, but we don't need to talk about it anymore till it's restored, and then I will make you watch it again. Yeah, that's when we'll have his spinoff podcast. <laughs> <laughs> god damn it yeah william the inscrutable we're just going to talk about that movie forever yeah yeah a whole podcast devoted to that movie yep no we are i'm actually gonna be basic as fuck for my last one um to lead into this because i also want to save some of the you know more buried ones till the very end of this but so i'm gonna be a little basic here but i think it's for a good reason in my opinion, because this is a this is designed to highlight another part of Jess that I think is so special. And so I want to talk again about the sadist of Notre Dame briefly, I promise. But the reason I want to do that, and if you listen to the episode, you know, um, we both dig it, but we talked about the reality of how much it works using the footage from Exorcism. And we talked about how much we love the new footage, um, which is almost entirely just of Jess being really sad with gorgeous backgrounds <laughs> around the, around Notre Dame. Um, but the thing I want to focus in on is part of why Jess is so magic and why, even though, you know, more people than not watch Jess Franco stuff and they're like, fuck this, I'm good. But the people who do get any tingle are then sick with it. We've talked about it a lot, right? Like once it goes off. And I think part of the reason for that is, is that Jess is one of the few artists, not just filmmakers, who is never content and never confident that they know everything and they've explored everything. And so Jess never stops interrogating himself, interrogating the history of film, interrogating culture, wherever he's living at the time. He never stops doing that and he continues to push himself. And I think Sadist of, of Notre Dame is a perfect highlight of that because yes you know it was because he was told to by a producer to go back to this and do something with it but in true just fashion instead of just turning in some bullshit he what he adds to the movie is a, a deep heavy sense of melancholy about who the fuck he is and what he's done with his life and all these people that he work with and what they do and he never stops questioning himself and continuing to try to understand why he's obsessed with the things he is. And it's really beautiful. And I think that's why Jess keeps the people who do ever like him at all, because he's one of the only artists, obviously with this output, but one of the only artists who never stops doing that throughout his entire career. And it's invigorating once you're on his wavelength to see him do that. So, yep. I agree. I, I mean, Sadis and Notre Dame shot up in my appreciation over the course of this uh podcast so just in his in his career i think it's really important and highlights 
highlight something very, you know, very, very unique about our sweet boy and why he can't stop fucking making movies compulsively. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to deliver. Here's our last one. Maybe this might seem basic too, but this is a movie that I had seen going into this. I'd seen it back in the old odd obsession days and it didn't look so good. Didn't look so hot. And the cheapness of the production stuck out like a sore thumb. And though I liked it, I was never like, in love with it this has changed greatly upon seeing the restoration this movie has now become one of my favorites i had to buy it again after because i was like i'm going to be revisiting this and you know what i bought it kind of recently and that's lorna the exorcist or should i say lorna the exorcist (laughs) yep so this had a this had a French Blu-ray from Le Cat Kifume, but it has only recently landed stateside. Yes, yes. From our Kino Lorber. Although it's Kino Cult. No. Oh yeah, now it's Kino Cult. Hey, whatever it takes for them to all of a sudden be caring about stuff like this again, I will take it. Yeah, yeah. I have not watched what they've done with it yet because it just got here, but I'm very excited to rewatch it because this movie like I said, changed completely in my mind. And I saw it as like this great, this, this great hovering presence in his films that, like you said, is truly transgressive in a time when I, boy, do I hate that term. And do I think it does not apply to 80, maybe 90% of the people who call their own work transgressive. I'd say 99%. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe we are friends with some of these people. Uh, (laughs) But it just proves that if you want to be transgressive, you got to be good because transgression is something that most people cannot do. That's the point of the word. You have to like move past this idea into another realm. So if you're just, sloppy and you like junk movies and shit like that you're gonna find it very hard to make that happen this is a movie that has the same budgets as these local independent filmmakers and it should be a lesson to all you motherfuckers myself included of what (laughs) you can do with nothing with basically nothing and shoot it in these fucking cramped hotel rooms and let it take on this occult-like power. Um, because, yeah, we already went through the plot of it. It's Lena kind of being possessed in her mind by this phantom realm of, not unlike something in London Par, of this creature, witch, monstrous figure, whatever you want to say, that exists between space and time, that sometimes takes form, makes a bargain with the father, and says, I'll... F- fuck your brains out if you and make you rich rich if you give me your daughter when she's born and he's not he's like i'm not gonna have a fucking daughter don't have to worry about it time goes on he has to now pay for um he has to pay for his sexual predilections and greed and it's truly nightmarish because yeah, you could at one glance this this seems to kind of like take on the same realm as like um the Dassad films 
It reminds me of the character being called out in Eugenie's story of perversion because he gets a phone call from the evil woman played by Maria Rome, and he has to go there and have sex with her, and he makes this bargain to, like, I'll okay i'm lost in lust yeah you can go on a date with my daughter which is so strange and weird and disturbing this character is not that (laughs) guy i mean he's arguably innocent in the sense that this guy is a bit of a shithead he cheats on his wife on the honey of course that's the plot he cheats on his wife on the honeymoon which is fucked up so he's uh yeah he's an adulterer but he is not necessarily a guy selling his daughter into enslavement like most of these movies because he hasn't conceived of this daughter yet. Well, maybe he's had sex with his wife and conceived of her, but he doesn't know a daughter's coming. Well, yeah, because the witch puts Lena in mommy's tummy. Exactly. Now he has a kid and now he has to reckon with it. And it becomes less of like, you know, this like moral seesaw and becomes this guy who did something and now has to reckon with it because he is now trying to you could say well, he cheats on his wife i mean most people are not going to cheat on their wife on their honeymoon that's pathologically insane but <laughs> and it will be fair to this character and that it was probably came from repressed time and he he's now trying to actually reckon with the past so there's that whole aspect of the movie that makes it take this like dare I say tension to it because you're like, Oh God, like this, get this man, like is really like stuck now. And we know it's not going to work out very well. And then on top of that, you just have the whole thing about Lena and the idea of sexual desire being this malevolent external force starting to happen. It uh, very much is a plot point that is going to return to a movie that is in my absolute favorites that might be on our next episode and the scene at which, you know, the transgressive scene really doesn't have a, I mean, there's no power lost on that scene. That's a. I wish there was. I'd be able to breathe more when watching it if there was power lost. It's too powerful. It's too powerful. And this is where the transgressive comes in. I don't think we even talked about this because it's like, what oh, is. We, did, we just didn't tell the actual scene because we don't want to spoil it. Okay. Well, in this scene. Yes, it's horrific and wrong and fucked up, but the way it's shot, there's this sensuousness to it. It it makes you feel so uncomfortable because you see things you would see on your normal, the 20 tabs you have open from X videos, but it's also horrific and wrong and fucked up. And it's just, and beautiful and beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It's not even titillating in the sense you get a boner you feel bad about. I don't think you even reach half mass, but you're like, you're just like, there's something erotic, but it's evil. It's just, it it defies like being able to say, I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. Yeah. It's it's, it's, like the thing that I think most people that you're talking about miss when they think they're being transgressive is that to be truly transgressive, yeah, sure, one part of it is the, you know, the immediate shock of an image or a sound or, you know, the suggestion of something. But the other half that most people forget to do is emotional intelligence and understanding what's actually happening to someone's guts who is experiencing this and what they may be feeling. And I think that's where that 
not quite titillation you talk about comes from because it puts you back in a place where when you're a kid and like you know the first time you see something very sexual involving mm -hmm. adults and you don't understand it yet and it makes right your stomach turns but you're not just you don't just feel like sick and disgusted you feel weird in a way you can't explain yeah. because those feelings are starting to stir inside of you this movie makes you feel like that again which is absolutely impossible to do <laughs> so, like, but it's because of that emotional weight why that scene hits because if it was just a tossed off you know if that moment so happened it would be awesome and it would be crazy and it would be on like most fucked up movies list for sure and they would be right but why it hits is because that other half is there the emotion and the weight of what these characters have gone through uh even the witch you know even even lorna uh even her weight and her emotionality is present in that and her desperation to do what she has to do decided by fate is very present there and i think that's why it hurts so much movie hurts but it is uh it is that it's the dark power of the dark lord jazz so we have to we i yeah and i had to end it with that just because like yeah boy can sometimes you see things a certain way again a lot of this has been like quality a lot of this discussion has for me at least been like when you see things looking better it does a lot to help you appreciate obviously what a filmmaker's intentionality was so Please, people, keep restoring these movies. We're happy people are listening. I guess we just had to do a Franco podcast, and suddenly we really had a, we had quite a following. Like the full moon's back on, man. Fucking Blue Rita also announced. Mm. I know. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think we're the cause of this, but uh, oh, for sure, definitely. And <laughs> yeah, I would like to, and I will. We. <laughs> yep. So but yeah, so we, you know, yeah. we hope you. Yeah enjoyed this little taking a breath of an episode um because it's going to ensure that we can really deliver the goods for all of you as we finish out the last uh what i i counted the other day i forget there's at least like 70 or something still yeah there's um, a lot we got about 12 a lot more but we wanted to make sure that we checked ourselves like jess does and took a breath again so we don't you know we don't fuck this up no one's meant to fit this many films in a single day. So like that's why <laughs> yeah, there might be watching the eight movies <laughs> every day. Yeah. The episodes are going to be a little smaller. We're going to cover less and we might take a, a gap between the episodes on certain ones, just to make sure that we give everything enough breathing room. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also because we have a tour coming up, we gotta, we gotta eke the magic out just a little, <laughs> A little bit more yep. things have changed since we started this yes. and so have we so uh, all right well this was supposed to be a short quick episode can't do it <laughs> yeah we like the guy too much so if you think too much because, excitement. all right we'll see you on the next episode where we will continue the journey we started bye <laughs>